the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Good morning, and welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. And here, we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies Strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not guys, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, certified financial planner and president of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered to Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Even though we enjoyed the Thanksgiving get-togethers over over a week ago, I'm still impressed and thankful about things that I think have started to return to normal. Thanksgiving in last year, 2020, was so different with Zoom, Facebook, uh, FaceTime, uh, replacing the uh, traveling and the hugs and the kisses. Now, there are more people that's around the table enjoying the company and the conversation, taking the time to explore how the kids are doing in school and what will they be doing when they graduate, who's getting married, who's retiring. These are the things you don't get in a telephone conversation. Yes, and we still remember all the things we are thankful for, the family and friends, young and old, and the memories that we will cherish forever. When talking about remembering the past, we should take the time Tuesday to remember an extremely important date in our history as a nation. That is the attack on Pearl Harbor happened 80 years ago on Sunday, December 7, 1941. Let's remember and pay our respects to the sailors and Marines who died there. 
on the Arizona, the Utah, the Oklahoma, and the other ships sunk at Pearl Harbor. Over 2,400 servicemen died in the attack, and another 1,200 were wounded. It was the start of World War II for us, a war where over 11 million Americans would serve in uniform. They would serve and fight all over the world. It was the time that demonstrated that we as a nation could overcome great obstacles, both in the past as well as in the future. And sometimes, Tuesday, we need to take the time to remember the past sacrifices of our servicemen and women and uh, major events like Pearl Harbor and World War II give us some perspective for viewing the major events that are happening today. Basically, if you're not in harm's way, if you are working from home or, or, uh, or sheltering in place, then you never had it so good. If you go, if you're in harm's way, then this too will pass. Just keep your head down and keep moving forward. This week was another down week for global equities. In the U.S., the three major equities, equity indices closed down for the week. Uh, that's in spite of attempting to rally on Monday and Thursday. In the U.K., the uh, FTSE 100 was down, as well as the European Union's uh, Stock Europe 600 and the DAC index. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei uh, was down, while China's Shanghai Composite was up. On Friday, the three major U.S. stock indices closed at Dow Jones Industrial Average, closed at 34,580.08. It was down 0.91% for the week. The Standard and Poor 500 closed at 4,000. 538.43, that was down 1.22% for the week. And the NASDAQ closed at 15,085.47, and it was down 2.6% for the week. The stock market volatility was, was the big news this week, uh, because last week the investors were grappling with the unknown impact of the newest COVID variant, the Omicron, and uh, what its effect would be on the global economy. I don't know who came up with that Omicron name. Omicron. It sounds like a, some sort of a secret criminal organization. The variant has triggered new restrictions around the world, uh, throwing up new obstacles to uh, overseas commerce and travel. And this is happening just as the global economy is starting to bounce back from the Delta variant. In addition, investors are concerned that the Federal Reserve will be speeding up the process for increasing the interest rates and thereby reducing the monetary stimulus. So look at, let's look at first things first. Uh, presently, the biggest issues for investors is the uh, Omicron uh, variant because there's a lot of unknowns regarding its potential to impact uh, the public health, the economy, uh, the equity markets. First, let's take a look at the public health. The uh, Omicron variant 
was identified in uh, more than a dozen people in at least 10 states in the United States, and uh, there's, that's early evidence that it's, uh, that it's here in the United States, and the, uh, uh, the variant has been identified in at least 24 other countries. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. According to doctors tracking a rapidly growing outbreak in South Africa, it's still too early to tell whether the uh, COVID-19 caused by the new uh, Omicron variant is milder or more severe than that from other strains of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, South African, uh, South Africa, uh, the, the country which has more Omicron cases than any other is likely to be the first to deliver the answers to the questions of doctors and scientists have been grappling with uh, since the uh, World Health Organization declared the new strain a, quote, variant of concern. That was a week ago. Key among those questions would be whether the variant makes those affected uh, uh, infected sicker, uh, whether it is more transmissible, and how far current uh, COVID-19 vaccines for past infection protection against the uh, uh, the variant. So uh, Michelle Groom, who heads the uh, public health division of South Africa's National Institute of Communicable Diseases, said the uh, the latest data is starting to offer some preliminary answers for the uh, for two of the questions. Uh, quoting uh, Michelle Groom, there is definitely evidence that uh, Omicron is more transmissible and that there is some immune escape. And she said that at a news conference organized by the South African Health Ministry. Uh, Dr. Groom said that the early conclusions were based upon the rapid increase in cases in South Africa over the past weeks, and and uh, research showed that among those infected, there was a disproportionately large number of people who had already uh, had COVID-19. The idea being that if they had COVID-19, they, they previously they had some antibodies it would protect them, but that's not been the case. Uh, regarding this, and regarding the severity of the Omicron, uh, Dr. Jassett, a public uh, health specialist at the National Institute of Communicable Diseases, said, quote, even if we're seeing a slightly less severe disease right now, it's too early to say whether that's characteristics of this variant because it's also a nature of the phase of the of the infection wave, unquote. Dr. Jassett uh, said it will take uh, about two or three weeks to find out whether these patients are going to be less severely ill than those hospitalized in previous waves. Part of that is because many COVID-19 patients only become severely ill in the second week of symptoms, and because doctors often admit less severely uh, ill patients early in a wave of infections when they're still spaced in the hospital. And uh, 
with regard to the public health, uh, don't forget that we're better uh, prepared this time for the new variant. Uh, the mutations contained in the Omicron variant could also reduce the partial immunity uh, acquired from vaccines and prior infections. However, uh, provided it doesn't eliminate this immunity altogether, global vaccination campaigns, prior infections, and better treatment could all mitigate the impact of the new uh, pandemic wave. Uh, it's also likely that the new vaccines will be developed and approved very quickly to address that variant. Uh, even in this uh, in this Omicron, Omicron is a brand new uh, variant. Acting FDA Commissioner Janet Woodstock said Tuesday that the agency would work quickly with companies to develop and test vaccines uh, modifications if they're determined to be necessary. Drug makers would need about uh, three months to develop and test the new vaccines. A person familiar with the matter said then the companies would seek authorization of the shots through an expedited review process, and it would take the FDA one to two weeks to make a decision according to that person. Uh, Pfizer, uh, Pfizer Incorporated's chief executive, Albert uh, Bula, said this week that the company and its partner, uh, BioNTech, uh, would have the vaccines ready in 100 days, while Moderna, uh, the other uh, man- vaccine manufacturer, has said that the company can advance new candidates to clinical testing in 60 to 90 days. So since the new variant was identified by South African uh, scientists last week, health authorities and and drug researchers have sought to figure out the uh, the threat that it it poses. Uh, Testing to determine whether the new new variant can evade current vaccines and medicines is continuing and is expected to take another week or two. Uh, to be prepared, such uh, drug makers as Moderna, along with Pfizer and Binotech, are already moving to develop uh, uh, Omicron-targeted uh, shots and treatments. So, and uh, so, from a health viewpoint, it's a case of uh, wishing and uh, waiting and wishing in terms of uh, what comes out with regard to this new. Uh, variant. And how will it affect the economy? Well, uh, investors should recognize that any uh, pandemic wave uh, should have a diminishing impact on the economy. Many people have simply uh, uh, moved on from the pandemic and and won't accept any further restrictions on their activities. Uh, Others have adapted their lifestyles to a to be very efficient, even in the uh, pandemic conditions, you know, conducting business over Zoom and buying uh, online and wearing masks in the grocery stores, travel and entertainment uh, could remain somewhat depressed if a new wave emerges. However, other parts of the economy would likely see very little disruption. 
basically, in all told, even if the Omicron causes another pandemic wave, it is more likely to slow <clears throat> rather than in, interrupt a, uh, a uh, current rapid global economic recovery. It may even help to solve the supply chain problems, uh, depending upon how it reduces the demand side and allows the uh, supply chains to catch up. <clears throat> and as far as the, the third part, the equity markets, uh, for the U.S. equity markets, another pandemic wave could have significant consequences in the short term. It could, it could tend to favor those companies which fared best during the pandemic, such as technology and consumer staple companies, over more cyclical sectors such as energy and financials. Basically, by slowing the economy and economic growth, it could make it harder for companies to maintain their high profit margins. Uh, just to give you an indication of how high the profit margins have been, the Board of Economic Analysis <clears throat> reported that last week that after-tax profits in the third quarter uh, reached 11% of the gross domestic product, and that is, establishes a record high on a quarterly series that goes back to 1947. So <clears throat> profits are good, but profits will be impacted. And uh, if we have another uh, <clears throat> another uh, important and uh, destructive uh, pandemic episode. So uh, that's one of the things that's uh, stirring up the market right now. Um, it's just a matter of uh, waiting and seeing what happens in terms of the severity uh, of the disease and uh, whether there are current vaccines uh, can keep us uh, keep the uh, the people that are infected uh, keep them out of the hospitals and, and keep them safe. Uh, aside from the unknowns. In this uh, new variant, uh, the other investor concern this week has been whether the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve, was talking about uh, taking away the punch bowl early, faster than expected, and speeding up uh, interest rates increases. Uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said that in light of the high inflation rate, the central bank might wind down its bond purchasing program sooner than expected. Uh, Powell testified before the Senate Banking Committee alongside uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, and they faced questions about inflation, which had been, which was up uh, significantly this year. The Fed had insisted that inflation, which is running at 6.2% uh, last month, and it uh, <clears throat> is transitory and will go down. But on Tuesday, though, the chairman said that the term uh, transitory might no longer be appropriate. And he went on to explain that uh, uh, I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. Uh, to many, it carries a sense of short-lived. And But in the Federal Reserve, we tend to think of it to mean that it won't leave a permanent mark 
in in the form of higher inflation. That's according to Powell. And he then continued, I think it's probably a good time to retire that word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Then he then he then he talked about the uh, uh, the tapering of the Federal Reserve's bond buying operation. And uh, if you recall, the Fed is embarked upon a uh, monthly asset purchasing. Uh, once the COVID pandemic started in February of last year, uh, after its uh, meeting in uh, uh, November, the central bank said that it would begin winding down its uh, monthly purchases of $120 billion in treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. At this particular meeting on Tuesday, Powell suggested that the process could end even sooner. Powell said, quote, at this point, the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high, and it is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at our November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. So he said that he expects to discuss speeding up the tapering process at the next meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee in mid-December. So what you're seeing there is that the Federal Reserve uh, mentioned it in September and they formulated an approach in in, uh, November uh, at the Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, to... uh, keep the federal funds rate anchored at zero, technically zero to uh, one quarter, one percent, and to reduce the um, $120 billion per month buying operation by $15 billion a month until they get down to zero by mid-2020. And at that time, they would keep the, uh, <clears throat> this would, basically anchor the short-term uh, rates uh, close to zero and allow the longer uh, maturity uh, bond rates to increase and basically steepen the yield curve. Then the, the plan was that uh, after they get the tapering down to zero in mid-2022, uh, uh, they would examine the situation and take some time before they begin to move up the uh, federal funds rate. Uh, the federal funds rate will lift the, once they begin to move the federal funds rate up, that lifts the entire yield curve up. So so the plan was they're going to they're taper it at $15 billion a month and uh, get to zero in the middle of 2022 wait a while, and then maybe at the end of 2022 or early 2023, they would begin to lift the uh, federal funds rate from zero to maybe like 1% over that entire year. They might do it in three or four steps. Uh, it wouldn't be just one gigantic step of 1%. But over that one-year, 12-month period, they intended to lift it up 1%. 
and that would take approximately a year. And then uh, let's say it would go from the start of 2023 to the end of 2023, they'd be up uh, 1%. And then the next year, uh, uh, 2024, they'd be up another 1%. The goal was to get to the uh, 2.5% uh, in the future. And uh, what, we've, what we're seeing right now is that uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve is talking about speeding up the process. And they'll discuss that at the Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, that'll happen sometime in a couple of weeks. Uh, give you an idea of what is happening in the background. Uh, the uh, uh, Jim uh, Bullard, who is the Federal Reserve President of St. Louis, uh, he predicted that the economy will reach full employment in early 2022. And uh, uh, because of the continued inflation pressure, he urged that the Fed to complete its tapering by the end of the first quarter of 2022 and considering rate increases soon afterwards. Also, our, our uh, uh, Cleveland uh, Fed President uh, Loretta Mester uh, said she supported a faster uh, taper transfer. Uh, 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 you know, some weeks, some uh, months ago. So basically what you're seeing is that uh, uh, you might see a rate increase, which is not going to, probably not going to be good for the stock market and as soon as on a faster pace than you originally thought. That was one of the reasons that the, this, the markets moved this week. Uh, <clears throat> just in you know the the uh, Omicron uh, variant and the possible uh, interest rate increases spooked the market this week. But the the economy itself is pushing forward. More people are going back to work. The unemployment rate uh, is falling to 4.2 percent. Uh, we'll be talking about that later in the show. Factory orders are, are picking up. They're up to uh, one up one percent in October, according to the Department of Commerce. We'll talk about that. Uh, both the manufacturing sector and the service sectors of the U.S. economy to continue to continue to grow in November, according to the reports from the uh, Institute of Supply Management, and uh, even Congress made some uh, uh, progress this week. They passed the uh, short-term extension of the federal funding uh, that expired uh, uh, Friday evening and a, uh, Thursday uh, Congress uh, uh, put together a plan to extend that uh, federal funding to February 18th so I'm sure the president signed that yesterday and uh, that signals that uh, uh, they now have to turn to the next big chore and that is to extend the national debt ceiling uh, by the probably by the end of the month. Uh, and then I don't know how they got themselves into this position, but uh, uh, they've got a lot of work to do uh, before the end of the year. They they keep making noises like they're going to get it done, but I can't imagine how. 
the two two necessary steps were to fund the uh, government so you don't shut down the U.S. government, and the other one was to uh, uh, increase the national debt. Well, in the end of September, they accomplished that, and now they're trying to kick the can down the road and uh, uh, keep the government funded, which they have accomplished uh, until February 18th, and also to get the national debt increase, which they haven't accomplished, but they've gotten until the end of the month to do it. So, um, crazy situation. Uh, in the big picture, when we talk about the economy and all the rest of the stuff that's going on, uh, the threats to the economy from this new variant, uh, uh, it's not, in my estimation, it's, it may slow the economy down, um, but uh, we know how to take care of the, uh, uh, the vaccines. We know how to get uh, people protected. It will not, certainly, even if it's as bad as the Delta, uh, it won't uh, uh, slow us down like the original uh, pandemic did. So the economy will push on. Um, the, uh, uh, we might go, uh, we might have to be a little bit more protective. Uh, but uh, uh, the other parts of it is the economy is still strong and moving forward. Moving forward against a lot of of uh, supply chain issues and inflation issues and stuff like that, but it's a strong economy. So, how does that fit into your big picture in terms of what you're planning in terms of uh, raising the family and supporting the family and providing us a good standard of living and an education, and then retiring in the future? Uh, the important thing there is that you realize that all these things are affecting your investments, but that still doesn't take away your responsibility. <clears throat> and your responsibility is mainly to uh, to get those savings built up uh, to to the point where. Uh, you not only provided for your standard of living and you also provided for your emergency funds, but you also have money flowing into different investments so that you can uh, um, either buy a new house, uh, buy the first home, or uh, start a family, or uh, educate the youngsters, or uh, have a comfortable and reasonably secure environment. All those things require money, and uh, you don't have the money unless you unless you expect to inherit uh, thousands of dollars. So you have to earn it and save it and invest it, and that's basically financial planning. And that's why we look at what's going on around us to, to tell us. Uh, uh, how secure the economy is and how secure the stock markets are and how they do our financial planning. So with that in mind, this is uh, Jim McElhinch. Uh, <clears throat> you're, you're, uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. 
That's 1-888-281-1110. You can talk about the, the big economy or you can talk about uh, the microeconomy, and that is our financial plan. Uh, so give us a call. Uh, and stay tuned. We'll be right back after words from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAlee. You can give us a call over our toll-free number at 1-888-281-1110. Colleen, was there a question I saw in the light there? Yes, yes, yes. We have a question from Christina, actually. And she shared that her father-in-law left his IRA to his grandson. And now she has a son who is married, and they, Christine and her husband, would like to um, think about making their granddaughter the beneficiary of um, their one of their IRAs. And she wants to know: Is can they still do this? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the rules have changed, but it hasn't been eliminated. You know, uh, for those heirs who have. Inherited an IRA. Uh, if you inherited it before January first, two thousand and twenty, you're still allowed to use the stretch, the old stretch IRA. And the old stretch IRA said that hey, uh, you could stretch this thing out to your life expectancy. So you might have a um, a youngster who has a life expectancy of another fifty, sixty years and stretch it out over that amount of time. But that law changed. January of 2020. So now uh, the IRAs that are inherited after December 2019 are under the SECURE Act rules, which require that the entire balance of the the IRA account be distributed within 10 years of the the passing of the uh, original holder of the IRA. Uh, there are uh, exceptions for a surviving spouse. Uh, like a, they also, um, uh, well, let me let me talk about the rules first before we get into the exceptions. Uh, 
Have you inherited a IRA recently or after uh, January 1st of 2020? Then the rules are you you want to you can uh, hold on to that uh, IRA money, but at the end of the 10 years, it has to be distributed from that uh, beneficiary IRA. There are no requirements for uh, yearly distributions. In other words, you're not under any requirement like in the stretch IRA that you're going to take out so much per year. You can leave it all sit there until the 10 years is up. And at that point, take it all out. And that depends upon the size of the inheritance. You know, the big, if it's a big beneficiary IRA, then you don't want to wait for the 10 years because you're going to have to take out a, a large sum of money pushing you into a higher tax bracket at the, when the 10 years is up. So uh, if it's a smaller amount of money, you can just let it sit there and take it out uh, at the end of the 10 years. But after 10 years, it has to be out of there. Uh, if it's a big sum of money, then uh, you... you have to do some tax planning and, and distribute it uh, according to some schedule, take a, take a certain one-tenth of it out each year, something like that, to keep the, uh, the amount of uh, money that's going to be taxed down to a minimum. So uh, there are exceptions to that. Uh, let's say a child, let's say the, the granddaughter uh, hasn't reached the age of uh, maturity, 18, uh, so in that particular case, uh, what you do is follow the old rules until the, uh, uh, uh the grandchild, uh, gets to be the age of maturity. And then at that time, they're subject to that 10 year rule. So, uh, the children can still take the money out. Anytime they, they they basically choose, there's no 59 and a half requirement on that or anything like that, like you and I have with regard to our IRAs. You know, if we take money out of our IRA before uh, 59 and a half, we can not only get stuck with the taxes, but we also get stuck with the penalties. So a 10% penalty. So. I uh, hope that answers your question. Uh, uh, the rules, yes, you can do it, but the rules have changed. They're, they're not as good. The rules aren't as good as they used to be. Okay. This is Jim McAlee. Uh You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. A merry little Christmas Let your heart be light Welcome back to Get Rich Close. Uh, yesterday, the uh, U.S. Department of Labor released their employment situation report for November, and it was startling. You know, it showed basically non-farm uh, payroll growth in November fell significantly. 
uh, from the previous month. It, it fell to 210,000 uh, jobs, and that was significant, significantly less than the October payroll growth of uh, 546,000 and less than the uh, consensus expectation of 576,000. It was the smallest gain since uh, last uh, December. You know, and to provide some context to what I'm talking about in terms of, well, what's it, what's it been doing over the last, let's say, since May? In May, the job growth was 583,000. In June, it was 962,000. In July, it was 1,091,000. In August, it was 483,000. In September, it went down to 379,000. October, it jumped up to 546,000. And now here we are at, in November at 210,000, which is kind of mystifying. Uh, the average uh, monthly job growth uh, for 2021 has been about 555,000. So coming in at 210,000 is kind of a mystery. In addition, the Department of Labor reported that the unemployment rate uh, fell from 4.6% uh, in October to 4.2% in November. So we're going in the right direction, but we're not showing uh, a lot of increase in the uh, uh, the numbers of people going back to work according to the establishment uh, uh, process. In other words, the, there's two processes in this report. One is the household process, and that's the one that comes up with the the uh, uh, with the unemployment rate. And the other one is the establishment where the uh, Department of Labor goes and uh, uh, gets the numbers of people hired from uh, all sorts of companies around the United States. And uh, uh, it's kind of strange, this 210,000 number. And the number of uh, unemployed people uh, fell by uh, uh, 542,000 to 6.9 million people that are unemployed. Both measures are down considerably from their highs at the end of February and April of 2020. That's when the um, economy shut down. For instance, in uh, prior to the COVID, the unemployment rate was 3.5%, and the unemployed number is 5.7 million unemployed. Today, the unemployment rate is, uh, according to this report, is 4.2%, and the unemployed number is, uh, the number of unemployed is 6.9 million. So, uh, you know, there are, there are basically all sorts of jobs available you're seeing, uh, according to the JOLTS report, job uh, allocation and uh, something, job uh, openings and allocation report. Uh, there's something uh, close to 11 million open positions 
that are posted, and that greatly exceeds the number of unemployed workers. And uh, uh, the employers are increasingly hold on to, holding on to the workers they have. Uh, applications for uh, initial unemployment claims this this week, this past week, was 222,000 for the week. Uh, and that was uh, close to a pandemic low. Uh, the unemployment problem is still serious with uh, 1,956,000 people continuing on the unemployment rolls from month to month. Uh, the, uh, the private sector is, is increasing their wages. Uh, at the point of 4.8% in November. That's increase of 4.8% over the last 12 months ending in November. And that really represents an increase in November of $0.08 cents an hour to $31.03 uh, an hour. So in the, in the big picture, uh, the, the, the private sector... Uh, gained 235,000 jobs, and the workforce in the private sector is approximately 126 million workers. So uh, the federal government, the government sector, lost 25,000 jobs in November, with the federal government uh, gaining 2,000, the state government losing 9,000, and the local government uh, losing uh, 18,000. So uh, a, uh, what you're seeing is that uh, professional and business services added 90,000 jobs in November. Uh, and uh, out of that 90,000, administrative added 42,000. Technical uh, consulting, 12,000. Computer system design and related services, 10,000. Employment and transportation and warehousing increased 50,000 in November. And that's 210,000 above its uh, numbers before the COVID started. Construction increased 31,000 in November. And manufacturing added 31,000. Uh, to me, the, 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 they go through where the uh, increases were, uh, but uh, still that fluky number uh, concerns me, that 210,000. Uh, although the Department of Labor's employment situation report is the official employment report, uh, there's also a uh, ADP employment report for November, and they put it out each month, and that focuses only on the private sector employment, and they neglect the government employment picture. And ADP is the automatic. Used to be, uh, uh, it started out as a payroll company, and uh, so ADP puts out this employment. Uh, Report and they get it from the data from the 460,000 clients that employ nearly 26 million workers, and then it kind of extrapolates from that. And uh, uh, I look at that report when 
the, the uh, Department of Labor report gets kind of wild or volatile uh, just to see uh, if there's any problems. And what that report shows is that, according to the ADP report, the total uh, uh, non-farm private employment uh, sector grew at 534,000 in November, which in my mind, is more reasonable than this 210,000 number. Uh, so uh, I'll take the 210,000 number, but uh, to me, uh, I don't know whether there's a distortion in the gathering of the data or what the, what the issue there is, but that's one of those things you've got to take with a grain of salt there. Uh, the other thing I talked about in the uh, opening of the show was that the, the economy is continuing to move forward. Uh, it's got all sorts of problems with regards to supply chains and everything else. But if you take a look at the uh, manufacturers' uh, shipments, inventories, and orders for October, what you see there is that manufactured goods orders are going up 1% in October. Uh and they increased five in October. The orders increased $5.1 billion or 1% to $522.1 billion. And the shipments that had been up seven last 18 months increased uh, $10.2 billion or 2% to $523 billion. So what you're seeing is that uh, things are moving out of the plant. Orders are coming in. Uh, shipments are going out. Uh, if you take a look at the numbers per month, they're in the order of uh, the factories or output. Is, uh, orders are increasing at 1%. The shipments are increasing at 2%. If you take a look at the change year-to-date from 2020 to 2021, it shows that the uh, manufacturing is up uh, 17.1% over this past year. So manufacturing is is doing its thing. Uh, the Institute of Supply Management <clears throat> gives you a, a better picture of what is going on, you know, in, in November in terms of manufacturing. And what they do is... Uh, the ISM talks to uh, managers in the field, and the questions are, uh, how are you doing this month versus last last month? And they talk about the uh, orders, shipments, uh, you know, backlogs, prices, employment, things of this nature. And just to give you a feel for what, uh, what the managers are saying, in manufacturing, uh, according to the computer and electronics people, international component shortages continue to cause delay in completing customer orders. Backlogs continue to increase. Uh, according to the chemical products people, uh, petrochemical supply chain is slowly showing signs of improvement after multiple weather uh, disruptions in 2021. Transportation equipment uh, has large volume, large volume drop due to chip shortages. 
and uh, petroleum and coal products. Oil is up, but our capital spending remains flat for now. And uh, what you're seeing is that uh, asked about uh, new orders. 23% of the uh, respondents said that they knew this month, November, <clears throat> 23% said that the orders were up for November. Uh, 11% said that they were lower. 30% of the managers said that production is up higher in November than uh, October. Uh, 12% said lower. Backlogs, uh, backlogs. 35% said that their backlogs are increasing. And uh, prices paid, 70% said that they're paying more. And uh, what you're seeing is manufacturing is strong and basically growing stronger. This is uh, Jim McAleese. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is the new bird Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Uh, apparently, I did a little too much celebrating on the <laughs> Thanksgiving. A uh, little frog in my throat here. Uh, let's talk about the, the uh, what's going on in the service industry. And basically, the service industry show that uh, uh, they're even doing better than the manufacturing in the sense that uh, um, the uh, business production is growing faster, uh, new orders are growing faster, employment's growing faster. Uh, prices are increasing slower, and the backlog is increasing, but it's slowing down. And some of their comments are, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, accommodations and food services, uh, labor shortages, transportation delays, and supply constraints. Uh, uh, agriculture and forestry business is greater than in the past. Supply chain issues persist, but we're evolving to overcome or manage them uh, better than in the past. Uh, according to construction, <clears throat> material shortages, longer lead times continue to hamper operations. Significant cost increases from labor and freight are forecast for the start of next year. And wherever you look, what you're seeing is that. Uh, uh, delays in the in the supply chain. Otherwise, uh, the orders are coming in. The uh, orders, the shipments are going out as fast as humanly possible. But the supply chain uh, issues and problems are the major roadblock in this whole whole thing. So, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back.
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. While we wrestle with the national problems this today, let's remember that we, the people of the United States, have successfully weathered a lot worse. One of those events was the Second World War. That for the United States began on December 7, 1941. It began with the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. When we remember that day, let's think about what happened on that day of infamy. Here's a poem uh, and a prayer written by an unknown uh, sailor 60 years ago. It goes like this. The USS Arizona one day stood proud and tall, December 7, 1941, the morning she would fall. Utah and Oklahoma would suffer similar fates, battleships that lost their lives along with their shipmates. A quiet Sunday morning, no fear was in the air. Soon skies filled with foreign planes bringing death and despair. A lazy Sunday morning, many still in bed. 1177 sailors and Marines died on the USS Arizona, along with others like the USS Nevada, were repaired to live again, answering our nation's call to respond to Pearl's bloody stain. Four long years of devastation, both nations at war, Japan would feel the final blast for knocking at our door. So, until remember the, the words that these people died to keep us safe, and remember to honor those words until we meet again next week for more Get Rich Soul. May God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.